0: instruction. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to gather this morning to study your Word together as a body, as a family. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your Word, that you would use it to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, that you would give us faith and hope and the fruit of the Spirit as we walk out of here this morning. Challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us for the work of obeying you in all of life, Father, thank you for uh, the new members class this morning and for the families that are walking forward to join with us as a church body. Pray that you would continue to bless that and that you would bless us as a congregation and continue to add to our number. Pray for the start of school, for the teachers that are going to be caring for our students, for the families in our midst, for the kids as they go back to school, for all the adjustments that we have to make as families. Father, thank you for the children uh, in their mother's wombs in this congregation. We pray that you would keep them safe and sound and that uh, they would come in due time. We pray for the little babies around this country uh, whose mothers are Planning to kill them, that you would protect them, and that you would have mercy on us. Thank you for those who are preparing for marriage. We pray that you would bless them and uh, help them to have the sure foundation of your word beneath their feet. Bless us now, we pray, as we come to the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, this is it. This is the conclusion of our long two-summer series on Proverbs. So far this summer, we have discussed emotions, anger, work, marriage, kids, friendships, words, money, and planning for the future. Pretty big list. And we've called it Self-Help Summer. Thanks, Gretchen. We've called it Self-Help Summer. Why? Because on the one hand, you have all the self-help gurus uh, who are selling you tips on how to live your best life now, right? Right? And they're dopey dorks. And on the other hand, you have Reformed. We take the Bible seriously, so seriously, that we don't talk about how to live according to Scripture. We just talk about high-minded doctrinal stuff over here. And we are contrarians and jerks. And we are committed to the big, strong, uh, deep truths of Scripture, the theological truths, and to seeing them work out into all of life, all of life. And so why should we cede this little bit over here to the self-help gurus? We shouldn't. God did it better in his word. God did it better. And so here in Proverbs, we have ancient time-tested wisdom for how to live the good life, and it is a good life that we're called to, that's held forth to us. Not a life without suffering, not a life without pain, Not a life without sorrow, but a good life. And a good life that builds on itself one person at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time, one community at a time, one generation at a time. Four generations. So if you're like me, you've probably spent some time, uh, maybe whole periods of your life, struggling to reconcile certain passages of the New Testament. Like, for instance... Jesus telling the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and give to the poor with passages in Proverbs that are like, actually, you should also be building up wealth and an inheritance to hand down to your children. Altogether, though, they paint a rich full picture of what it means to live all of life under the lordship of our king with practical detail. And Proverbs is especially practical. It's especially practical because it's a book written from fathers to sons, from kings princes. It is to help boys become men. It is to help princes to become kings, wise and godly rulers who lead and rule well. And it is given to all of us so that we can all grow and learn how to lead and lead well. An alternate title for this book might be The Wisdom of Kings or The Wisdom of Kings for Everyone. So my goal today as we close Proverbs is to pull everything we've studied together and to remind us of the things that we've learned and hopefully point us on the straight and narrow path of wise and righteous living. There are a lot of themes in the book of Proverbs that we haven't touched on, things that we should go on and study and teach to our kids, but I have one big principle that we have learned, and that is an overarching principle of the book of Proverbs and that's what we're going to focus on this morning and apply it to three different areas of our lives okay so that big principle is this you could probably guess what it is because it keeps recurring anybody want a hazard to hazard a guess you reap what you sow you reap what you sow and you are always sowing you're always sowing And the application is this, so wisely, working from the inside out. Take responsibility for yourself and self-discipline. Take responsibility for your people, your relationships, and take responsibility for the future. Above all, get wisdom. Get wisdom. Yesterday, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he was telling me about how his dad is at a place in life where he's pretty much just given up on life. He sits around on the couch all day, or actually lays down on the couch all day, staring at his phone. If he has to get up, he's winded. He can't pick up his grandkids. He's too weak. He's unwilling and unable to return a hug. He can no longer bear to go outside. He's simply decided that he is waiting to die. What my friend said about him is this, and this is a direct quote. He is a living picture of the deadening influence of sin, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally. He is a living picture of the deadening influence of sin, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally. It's a man so given over to his selfish, lazy, ultra-comfortable way of life that he will not make any effort to stay alive. And this pastor friend was angry, this is his dad. He has kids. This is their grandfather. He's not that old, but he was angry and mourning because his dad isn't just giving up on himself. He's giving up on his wife and on his kids and on his grandkids. Well, what's the truth? The truth is you reap what you sow and you're always sowing and you're always reaping. I said to my friend, um, because our conversation the way that it went, it's a long conversation, and we circled around a lot of things, but it ended up with me looking at him, or not looking at him, but saying to him, look, you're mourning the fruit that your dad has been, uh, is reaping, that he's sown over the course of his whole life. You are mourning that, and you are also reaping the fruit right now of the seeds that you have sown in your life over the last 40 years. And you're sowing seeds that you'll be reaping 40 years from now. And so the question for him, and a question for all of us, one way or another, is not only how do you become the dad that you wish you had, but how do you now work toward becoming the grandfather that you wish your daughter had, and the great-grandfather that you would have hoped for her children? or children's children. You are sowing seeds now that you and your wife and your kids and your kids' kids will be reaping 40, 50, 60 years from now. God will require it of you. And if you're not here for that long, okay, sometimes God takes us early. But if it's because you didn't care, God will require those lost years of fruitfulness from your hand. If he requires every idle word from your hand, he will surely require every lost year. You are always becoming the person you are going to be, including the person you'll be in the nursing home. So you can either be focused on becoming the person you want to be, or you can become something else, something different. And that you that you become will be the you that you chose to be. At the end of the day, it's what you wanted. If, you want, if what you wanted was to pursue your own pleasure now, that's all you will ever be. You will come to the end of your life a broken, decadent, defiled person who becomes increasingly less capable of momentary pleasures, but no less enslaved to them. You will be rotting away while your family mourns, not just your death, but your absence for years at a time go to a nursing home, go to those who are dying. As we age, we tend to distill into our true selves. My grandma's at that time in her life, it's very sad, it's also very sweet. It's very childlike. She wanders around looking for people to take care of because that's what she did her whole life. She has in her mind that her parents might be out there somewhere and she, She needs to be sure that they're being taken care of. She's always asking where her mom and dad are so that she can take care of them or be sure that my dad or somebody's taking care of them. She's offering to babysit our kids. It's just who she is. That's who she's always been. Who will you be? You will be who you are deciding to become right now. That's the truth. Those are facts. And when it comes to facts, we have to get this into our head. Facts are our friends. Facts are our friends. Facts don't always feel friendly because facts don't care about feelings, right? You've heard that. Facts don't care about your feelings. They don't feel friendly sometimes, but they are our friends. It's true. Facts don't care about our feelings. Knowing that doesn't always help us embrace them, though, right? Have you ever been in a place where you need to lose weight or gain weight and avoided looking at the scale? My doctor told me recently that I need to lose weight not in the last year because I had bad blood work and stuff, right? And the first several months, I didn't look at the scale at all. In fact, our scale was broken, and that suited me just fine. (laughs) Why would you avoid the scale? Because the scale represents hard truth. You can't get away from it. It is what it is. It says what it says. That hard truth might hurt your feelings. Is that hard truth your enemy? Only if what matters to you is your feelings, your feelings of comfort, of ease, of control, your ego. But what if your goal changed? What if your feelings weren't the thing? Those facts known as the numbers on the scale would become your friend because they would tell you the truth. They would tell you if you've gained or lost. They'd tell you if you've been honest with yourself about how much you're eating and how hard you've been working. They'd tell you how much farther you need to go, how much harder you need to work. They'd just tell you the truth. That would make them your friends if you let them. Does that make sense? Have you ever had a boss that wants you to keep detailed track of your time, like in 15-minute increments? Have you ever looked at the screen time breakdown on your phone? How much time you spend looking at a screen? Have you ever done the math and sort of like added it all up? We lie to ourselves all the time. We flatter ourselves about how hard we work, how much time we give to any one little thing. And then we avoid the facts that would contradict that. We're not honest with ourselves. Everywhere. It's so hard for us to be honest with ourselves. Do you think you're a good parent? Okay, how much time do you spend yelling at your kids? How many times do you ignore things you should discipline because you're tired or you had a hard day at work? How long can you go piling up credit card debt or eating into your savings accounts without noticing? Numbers are facts. Facts are friends. We avoid them because they hurt our feelings. But here's the thing. Every time we avoid facts, we make a decision to require it of ourselves later. This is what Nathan highlighted for us a couple months ago. Future you will pay the price always. Future you will pay the price for avoiding stepping on the scale. Future you will pay the price for being lazy on the job. Future you will have to pay that credit card bill eventually. Future you will have to deal with your teenage daughter or 20-something-year-old son who hates your guts or has abandoned the faith or has fallen into serious sin. And that's what I was trying to tell my friend. I am right now, me, reaping the the fruit of the seeds that past Jake has sown for the last 38 and a half years of his life. I am right now sowing seeds that I will be reaping 40 years from now and how I take responsibility for myself, my self-discipline and how I take responsibility for my people, my family, my friends, my relationships, this church, this community, and how I take responsibility for the future. And so are you. It may not feel nice for me to stand up and put that in everybody's face. Facts don't care about feelings. Those are facts. The wisdom of Proverbs is really simple. Always choose to pay now. Oh, you're going to pay. You're going to pay. Always choose to pay now. Facts are friends. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Why is that? Because the wise are always looking for ways to pay now rather than later. They're investing in their future, in the future, in their future selves while fools are accumulating debt that they will pay later. You cannot escape it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You will pay. The wise are committed to paying now. To learning from other people's mistakes. They let other people suffer for them. They learn hard lessons from other people. They go to the old and the godly and the wise and the successful and they say, Teach me what you've learned the hard way. They go to scripture and they fight to absorb as much of God's wisdom as possible. Why? Because we want to learn now. Fools are forced to learn the hard way if they learn at all. But the wise are always sowing to the future. Or rather, everyone is always. Sowing to the future. The difference is that the wise person knows it and keeps it in front of his face. And he's trying to sow on purpose with intentionality. He's looking for the harvest that he wants to reap. His treasure is first in heaven. He's sowing to God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? And all these things shall be added to you. When it comes to this earth, it's pretty simple. He wants to walk in God's ways, he wants to bear the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to have a good marriage. He wants his kids to be wise and strong and godly and mature. He wants good friendships and relationships. He wants to leave behind an inheritance and a legacy so that his kids and his grandkids and his community have the freedom to live godly and peaceable lives. Simple. So one of the things that the godly wise person does is tell himself over and over, facts are my friends. The truth is my friend. Even when it's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable even when it's hard. In fact, especially when it's uncomfortable. Because usually what I've learned is where it makes me uncomfortable is where I need to grow. It's where I need to change. That's what I need to lean into, not away from. Fools lean away, the wise lean in. We need to grow. The wise man never shoots the messenger then who comes bearing facts, who comes with the truth. Even when the messenger's wrong, he respects and appreciates the intention. And even when the intention is wrong, he looks for the lessons. He turns his critics into his counselors because he's humble. And deep down, the one thing he knows is he must always grow. He doesn't know enough. He is not godly enough yet. He is not perfect. He's not wise enough yet. He's not there yet. He's not done growing. Every place he can look to to get better, he was going to look to. The fool. The fool can't hear words of wisdom because facts hurt feelings and he's ruled by his feelings. He has a thousand self-protections. He gets defensive. He retaliates. He mocks and scoff, scoffs. Everyone that comes and tries to help him, he sees his coming and trying to tear him down. So he tries to return the favor. Which is why Proverbs warns against sharing your wisdom with the fool, trying to correct him. You won't get love for it. You'll be punished for it. Now, there are all times and places where even the wise responds foolishly to criticism, right? To correction. There are. There are places where each of us are more open to help and criticism and places where each of us are more closed off, right? Right? more self-protective, either because we have a great deal of pride bound up there, or we think we're really good, because we have sin and selfishness, or weakness that we're really attached to, or really lazy about, or we lack faith, we feel hopeless about change. But I hope and trust that one of the reasons you are here at Church of the King is because deep down, you're committed to growing, and we are committed to growing together and being pushed at, especially at the places that make us feel uncomfortable. I know what's said from up here isn't always comfortable. That's part of the point, right? We want to go to the hard places of God's word, the places the world and the church want to avoid and see what God has to say at exactly those places. It's not going to always be easy. Facts don't care about our feelings. We also know deep down from the Bible and from our own experience that the truth is our friend. God's truth is our friend. Facts are our friends. That's why our motto, our t-shirts, say, let truth be told. It's a sign out there. Right here in the Y, let truth be told. Let it be told. It almost sounds passive. Let truth be told. Oh, we should proclaim truth. Yeah, okay, but, but, uh, let's be sure we're proclaiming it to ourselves. How about, we be humble. And when we come to God's word, we just let it say what it has to say. We let it say what it has to say to us. We let it speak. We let it hit us where we live. Let's not hide and protect ourselves from it. Listen, I don't care where in your life it's easy to start adopting this mindset. The wise person is ruled by this everywhere, every part of his life. Find places in your life where you can be humble and you can humble yourself before God and before others. And just let the facts be your friends. Let truth be your friends. Find places big and small, to be honest. Turn that out into every corner of your life. When you come to scripture, find the things you want to avoid, the things that make you uncomfortable and stop and ask, wait, 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 why does that make me uncomfortable? Why did I want to skip over that part? Why did I want to pretend like that wasn't there? Because I'll guarantee you one thing, at the end of the day, the problem's not with Scripture. It's with you. It's with me. It's with our hearts. The truth is our friend. Facts are our friends. Oh, yes, Jake, but it's stressful. Facts are stressful. It's stressful. (laughs) Comfort's what I like and what I want. Yeah, exactly. Stress is what grows us. Pressure is what grows us. Would you like to grow? Put yourself under stress. Not chronic, constant stress, but stress. And then give yourself time to recover. Bones get stronger when they're under stress. As you age, it's important that you're lifting heavy things so that your bones stay strong instead of getting brittle. We're not like machines. With machines, it's use it and lose it, right? Machine has a lifespan. It's based on usage. The tires on your car have so many rotations, and then they're done. The Brakes, so many miles, then they're done. We're not like that, actually. We feel like, well, there's some truth to that because we age and we grow old and things break down. But also, it's not use it and lose it, it's use it or lose it, right? Everything we stress, everything we exercise produces an adaptation, a response, growth. Even as we age, we can slow or reverse some of the atrophy of our muscles and our bones and our minds simply by exercising them. It's true in nature. The root system of a tree is shaped entirely by the stress it has been placed under. The more wind, the more pressure, the stronger the roots get. A tree that's sheltered and doesn't grow a deep, strong root system will get blown over. The less water, the deeper and wider the roots branch out. Antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria are developed by the bacteria that survive. Antibiotics. They come back stronger. This is just how God made the world. If our big principle is you reap what you sow, what happens to a seed? How does it get to become a tree? Well, it falls. It's buried in the ground. It's covered up. It's under pressure. It's under heat. Water comes, it rots and falls apart and dies, and life springs forth. Stress, growth, stress, growth. If you remove certain stresses, you prevent growth. If you break the chrysalis, what happens? You have a butterfly whose wings aren't strong enough to fly. They have to have the stress of breaking through it themselves. This is how our immune systems work. They're stressed by sickness. They develop immunities. Over time, we get stronger as we're stressed, provided the stress doesn't break us. If we protect our kids too much from getting sick, what happens? Their immune systems don't develop. And then what? They become much more vulnerable to sickness and disease. With muscles, if we stress them and then give them everything they need to recover, they adapt and grow. They overcompensate for the stress they're placed under, and they get stronger. If they don't, they atrophy. With our minds, if we stress them, if we read and think about things that are beyond us and work through problems, our brains adapt and grow. And if they don't, they atrophy. How many of you are like me when it comes to math? Like in school, math was great, easy. And now you can't do a math problem to save your life. What happened? The part, that part of your brain, you haven't been exercising it. That's what, it's just atrophied. Memory? Remember how easy it was to memorize things as kids? Eh, Some of that is, it's complicated. We change, we develop, we become more wired to synthesize information than retain it, okay? But also, if you work on memory, it gets easier. You start to memorize those Bible verses and then memorizing Bible verses gets easier. Anybody ever get good at a second language, a foreign language? Use it or lose it, right? Right? If you don't keep it up, it's going to go away. This is just the way that we are. The same is true for our hearts, for our souls. Hitting up against brothers and sisters that challenge us to grow, to deal with our emotions, to bear the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. It's a function of discipline, of work. And like anything in our lives where we want to grow, we can place ourselves under disciplined stress, reading the Bible, praying, worshiping together, fellowshipping with uh, other believers, sitting under the faithful preaching of God's word, or we can become comfortable and pursue comfort. The comfort is not bad in and of itself and in its proper place, but it is the enemy of growth. And it's what we're surrounded with and it's what we're coaxed by in every part of our lives all the time. We just want to be comfortable. We don't want to be bothered. The more comfortable we get, the more tempted we become to resent anyone or anything that challenges us where we're comfortable. That challenges us to work outside our comfort zone at our jobs. That challenges us to think about things we've never thought about when we'd rather just coast through life without examining why we believe what we believe, why we think what we think. That challenge us to get off the couch and out into the sunshine. That challenge us to deal with our guilty consciences before a holy God that challenge us to deal with our hearts before God, that challenge us to exercise self-control, to deal with our anger and our emotions. That's why those places that provide that kind of stress naturally that God puts into our lives are easily resented by fools, by the spiritually lazy. God gives us husbands and wives and places us in the pressure cooker of marriage to grow us. We respond to that stress and pressure or we resent it. And blame our husband or our wife for the problems that we have that come out under that stress and pressure. God gives us children. Pressure's turned up. More stress. God's calling us to grow. We respond, we grow, or we resent the pressure and the the blessing of the kids that God's given us. Jobs, our churches. When those churches are committed to providing the type of true pastoral care, that means more than just comfort. Not just encouragement, but pressure to grow. It's easy to look for comfort in a church, and churches do exist to provide comfort. We are hospitals for the sick, but we work to heal and comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. The goal for everyone is growth, strength, health, and growth, So that we can go and heal and comfort as we have been healed and comforted. So we can love as we've been loved. It's hard when we live in a world that's conspiring to keep us weak with comfort. To keep us numb. To keep us from growing. To keep our kids and our schools from experiencing the kind of stresses that will help them grow. Keep it simple. Don't grade them too tough. If they don't need that much time on the playground, put on a movie. Don't teach them to deal with their emotions. Give them meds. Don't teach them to deal with conflict or work through relationships create conflict-free environments, stress-free environments. We have to be careful about our many comforts. We have to be suspicious of them. It's not wrong to have a comfortable couch or air conditioning or a car. Not what I am saying. What I am saying is that we need to examine carefully the ways we pursue comfort and the kind of comfort we pursue. For example, one of the reasons we come to church is because we need hope. We need hope to live in a difficult world. We like things at church to feel hopeful. We like church to feel hopeful. Where does hope come from? Real hope. Not cheap hope, not fake hope. Where does hope come from? According to Romans 5, hope comes from character. How is character formed? Well, same book, same chapter. Character is formed through endurance. Through enduring what? Suffering. What gives us the freedom to embrace suffering in this life? Actually, it's comfort. It's the comfort we take in having our sins forgiven. So comfort can lead to growth if it's the right kind of comfort. Listen to Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the, for the ungodly. Comfort can lead to growth. It's gotta be the right kind of comfort. Most of the comforts we seek are distractions from the comforts we need. We have bad consciences. So instead of facing the pain and discomfort of dealing with our consciences before a holy God and finding the comfort we can only find in Jesus, we take false comfort, cheap comfort. Whether it's comfort food or entertainment, cheap cheap comfort at the hands of false teachers, But if we have the comfort and assurance of having our sins forgiven, then we're free to embrace a life of growth, a life of suffering and endurance and character and hope. A hope that's real and deep and sure and not a false hope and a false peace. So that brings us back to the point. You reap what you sow so you had better sow carefully you'd better first look to yourself and see that you're bearing the fruit of the spirit. See that you are self-governed. See that you are self-disciplined. Think back with me over the summer. Keep your emotions in check. If you don't, you'll never embrace facts as your friends because facts hurt feelings and you can't check your feelings, you're ruled by them. Learn to deal with and discipline your emotions. Discipline your anger. Ask yourself what you want, what you think you deserve. Ask what God deserves. Cultivate humility. These are the lessons we learned. Remember, work hard, reject laziness. Remember Nathan's proverbial summary of the Proverbs. If you slack, you lack. Thanks. If you slack, you lack. If you sweat, you get. You reap what you sow. Use words well. Listen. Be careful with your words. They're powerful and potent. Marry truth with kindness. Look to yourself. Those are first things, but then you'd better take responsibility for your people and your relationships. Build a strong marriage. Marry well. Cultivate gratitude. Don't fight. Enjoy each other. Remember what those mean. Raise your kids well. Love them, train them, and correct them. Make good friends. To have a good friend, you need to be a good friend. You have to look for your friends among the wise instead of among the fools. Pursue a few true friends. And then take responsibility for the future. Plan well. Submit to God's plans. Get counsel. Get your priorities right. Take care of what you've been given. Build an inheritance for your children. Don't be lazy. Don't go into needless debt. Don't use people and God for money. Use money to serve God and people. Work hard and invest if you're able, and above all, be generous, because we have much more to invest in than money. Money's a great tool, a wonderful servant, and a terrible master. You cannot serve God and money. Our goal here at Church of the King is to build something that will outlast us, to build an inheritance for our children's children, an inheritance of godliness, of a strong, faithful, God-centered, biblical church community that has a strong impact on this city in its long-term strength and integrity. We wanna do our part to build strong, godly, mature, wise citizens who build a community that is just and economically sound and well-educated in the things that matter. We want Southern Indiana and Northern Kentucky and Eastern Illinois populated with strong churches that are committed to those same things. How do we do that? We start with humility. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise instruction. Facts are friends. We commit ourselves to walking in the way of wisdom, to listening, to learning, to studying, to, spe- to seeking truth and speaking truth and living the truth that we know and passing it on to our children and on to our children's children because we are here sowing seeds. We are never not sowing seeds. The harvest is God's, but we're sowing to his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning as we close the book of Proverbs that you would instill in our hearts a desire to grow in wisdom and knowledge, a desire to see and think about what you require of us and to sow to your seeds to your kingdom in our own lives, in our families, in our homes, and in our community. Help us, Father, we pray to sow good seeds and to bear good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.